0: Hi, I'm Hazel Jean Plant, and this is Tea for Tea. I'm a librarian, a cat photographer, and a trans writer. On this podcast, I'll be talking to other trans writers about writing and things they've written. Basically, Tea for Tea is a podcast about writing while trans. For this episode, I chatted with Rika Aoki. I just checked when I first emailed her, and it was October 23rd, 2020. I'm recording the intro to this episode on October 23rd, 2022, so exactly two years after my initial message to her. And this doesn't surprise me, it just feels like one of those synchronous moments where I think, yes, of course, that is how it works. Rika Aoki has published four books, most recently Light from Uncommon Stars with Tor, which came out last year, which is uh, wild and charming and has deservedly gotten a ton of attention. She also published the novel, Hey Mele, a Hilo, a Hilo song with Topside, which we also talked about. It's also a book that I discussed in my earlier conversation with Morgan M. Page. Rika is also the author of the poetry collection, Why Dust Shall Never Settle Upon This Soul, and the collection of poems, stories, and essays, Seasonal Velocities. She also has a newsletter called Rika World, which I'll link to in the show notes. At one point, Rika Aoki says that the message behind all her work is, I love you. That's it. And I get it. And I can see it in her work. And I've realized in the last year or two that that's really what animates so many of my projects, including this one. When I asked her about the difference between writing a poem and a novel, she had a really interesting response that included the following, and this might be weird, but I'm going to quote Rika Aoki here because I think this is really important. She says, or she said, "'When I say I love you in a poem, that's one thing. If I say I love you in a novel, that means I was thinking about you and loving you in the three or four years it took me to write this book.'" It's been, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, every day. And when she said that, I had so many feelings, just so, so many feelings. Um, And I ended up editing this episode, which I recorded a few months ago, when I needed to hear that exact wisdom. After chatting with Rika Aoki, I remember texting a friend who recently read and loved Light from Uncommon Stars, and I texted her something like, I don't know her, speaking of Rika. I don't know her, but I sort of love her. Our conversation touched on everything from Rika's writing process to Bartok and Dolly Parton. Anyway, here is my conversation with a writer I have love for, Rika Aoki.
1: Hello. Hello, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: Doing really well. I'm here. I made it.
0: <laughs> I'm very glad. Yeah.
1: Glad to be here. Huh. How's life? How's how's everything?
0: It's a good question. I'm just gonna sit with it for one second. I think it's okay. I think today feels like in my small life, kind of okay mm-hmm. in the wider world, pretty shitty. But um Well,
1: in the wider world, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, how 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 about you?
1: It's been difficult, you know. And I, today's okay. I'm ahead on my grading, but you know, the reason I'm ahead on my grading is, you know, when grading student essays is more appealing than reading social media. You know, social media is not in a you know just the world's not in a great place right now. Um, you know, it's uh, well, I mean, it hasn't been in a great place for a while, so. You know, we do what we can, you know, I mean, trying not to despair, you know, trying to yeah. uh, staying. you know, my relationship to social media has changed quite a bit these past couple of weeks, just because of self-preservation.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's fair. And that's real. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I was noticing, like revisiting particularly both both of your novels and also your poetry as well, is just this emphasis, I think, on like, small pleasures. And like, you know, like everyday kindnesses mm-hmm. and kind of like as part of a writing practice, but I'm guessing also probably part of like a living practice, just like gratitude. Like there are good things here and there and I need to remember that to stay alive.
1: It really is. I mean, it's this idea that, you know, they talk about, you know, have to do a random act of kindness every day, which is okay, but I I think it's... A little bit, we do so many things in a day. I think we can ask for more than one. And so my goal is to become a random act of kindness. Yeah. And just embody it as much as I can, you know, just and do it that way.
0: No, that's, 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 that's a good way to be, I think, in the world. Like, also like before I forget like huge congrats on Light from Uncommon Stars like it's such a Thank it's such a you. lovely such a lovely novel and it's oh also gosh. so similar and so different from your first novel like there's there's continuity across them but it's also profoundly different so it was also so interesting
1: I'm still the same girl but I mean it's it comes from a different place and my next book is going to kind of push a little bit further you know um and we'll see what happens with it
0: no, that's, are you are you a person who's comfortable talking about things while they're percolating or are you a little bit superstitious?
1: As long as, no, 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 there's no, I mean, at the end of the day, when you're a trans woman of color, you kind of figure out that you're probably not born under the luckiest star anyway. So what you can have is a bit of community and family and sharing. And, you know, I think sometimes the greatest strength we have is, as, as trans and queer folk is authentically sharing ourselves when we can
0: yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's real. I'll probably loop back to what you're working on now a bit, a bit later, I think, cause I kind of want to, yeah, I think, were you recently at ALA, I think, is that what I, what, what I was seeing the mm-hmm. big library? Cause I'm a librarian and I know that is a bonkers huge conference. Like it's a big one.
1: Yeah. I was just there and I ended up like spending most of my time in my hotel room. I uh, yeah. asked me what I saw. I didn't. I, uh, I made my publishers order me rooms. I just said, you're paying for room service because um, I had to, I met a lot of good people and I talked, but it was, I'm glad the conference was there. I'm really eager to meet people. Somebody bought me donuts, which was really sweet. And I got to talk about it, but, you know, under, underneath it all, there's, you know, This was about the same time that very weekend Roe v. Wade got overturned. You know, that very precede the preceding week. So, yeah. And our panel was about you know optimism, (laughs) and and and, and, you know, and I think it was uh, who was it? Was it? uh, It might have been Alex. Alex Harris. Just saying, I don't feel optimistic right now. And yeah, uh, it's um, but we were able to spin it because you know the thing is, um, we still need to write stories and Mm -hmm. we can't be beholden to the times we write in and you know there's a there's a strange sort of um you know anachronism to being a writer where you're existing you're drawing from the time but you really unless you're writing that sort of book uh you're really not you can't allow your reader to feel that uh you are simply parroting what's around you. You want to give them something more. I mean, that's why they're, they're spending time with you.
0: Yeah. It's a, it's such a weird process that takes place across time and you're kind of part of your time, but you're kind of outside of the loop of time in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just kind of curious about, cause there's so many components in light from uncommon stars mm-hmm. that I'm kind of wondering what's really, um, bubbling up when people are asking you questions about it, whether it's in interviews or Q and A's, like I do imagine donuts is probably one of the things, but like, what are people really focusing on in this book? Cause there's so much there.
1: They're focusing on donuts and they're focusing on the fact that I'm mashing up genres. They're focusing a lot on food, which mm. was by design. Totally. Um, and they're focusing on, um, they're focusing uh, the musicians are coming at me and saying thank you, which makes me really happy because I researched that part really hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because there's a lot on violins. There's like Bartok is in there a bunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking to myself, I I mean, talk about trying to make your book as unmarketable as possible. I mean, (laughs) you know, trans person of color, San Gabriel Valley, no white protagonist, donuts, and Bartok. I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't even pull Mozart. Bartok, you know, what? You know, I mean, I even find Bartok hard to listen to sometimes, but there was a lot there that I wanted to talk about. There was, uh, that was the whole point. It's uh, because, you know, trans folk are hard to look at, sometimes hard to listen to. Um, there's, there's a synergy there. And so, I wanted to do my best to show how um, if you just open your ears and your mind just a little bit maybe you'll get something out of it and uh hopefully some people did I'd like to think so you know there's I think that some people have said some things in mentioned some things in reviews that they've not really said to my face uh you know some of the questions they have not not nobody's been Really, I mean, if someone's been mean out there, don't tell me, because, you know, most people have been really nice, but they've been wondering, you know, about things that I wish the people had asked me about is, why didn't, why wasn't she punished more? Or why did I let Katrina hang out with the sugar daddy? This was not sloppy writing. I did this very much on purpose, and I think some people think you know, especially when you're talking about a woman of color, oh, she's out of control with the writing. she didn't really it was sloppy, no, it's not sloppy. I intended it because we don't get happy endings, and we have to forgive ourselves. We've all done horrible things every single one of us what you know, and at the end of the day, there's still tomorrow, and there's still the chance to have a really nice oatmeal and you know maybe say something nice and you meet somebody on the street nobody might know the horrible things you did to your uh you know to people in the past you'll have to pay for that later but that doesn't stop you from being a nice person going forward you know we're, we work with what we have yeah we work with what we have uh, i think that part of forgiving others is forgiving ourselves
0: yeah heart hard agree yeah i mean i i love that I think, and I think this is one of the things that's so for me kind of delicious about a novel, because I'm also like you, a poet turned novelist, mm-hmm. um, and like I just love the, you know, the bagginess of the novel. You can include so many things. And you'll mention a thing in passing. It's a really hard thing about a character, and people just kind of have to sit with it. Whereas if it's a short story, it really, you know, has a lot more emphasis. Whereas over the course of a 300, 400 page novel. People are just—it's in the wash of the of the actual experience. So I guess I'm wondering what you like about writing novels.
1: I really like playing with my reader with novels. I think that when I'm writing poems, be, you know, writing a poem or writing a short story, it's uh, it's like a really passionate one night stand you know where you're in there you're dazzling them it's the best they've ever had if you're lucky and then you you, you say your goodbyes and, yeah. and you go um you know uh with a novel we built a relationship I mean with Himelia Hilo I taught the reader how to speak pigeon and they didn't even you know over the chapters with with a book like this I can lay things down and I think that uh you know I can leave some questions unanswered and then either answer them later or untangle it so you realize it was never a question, it was a statement. I can play with my readers and I think, uh, I think develop uh, a deeper relationship with them. Uh, And so when I say, I love you in a poem, that's one thing. If I say I love you in a novel, that means I was thinking about you and loving you. And about three or four years, it took me to write this book. It's been I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you every day. And I think that's something a little different.
0: Yeah. No. Totally. Totally. Because yeah, it takes place across so much time. There's so much work in, in, involved in the. Oh,
1: this book took me years to write. Yeah. yeah to and uh, especially when you're doing a mashup, and especially mm. uh, when you're, uh, especially when you're writing and you realize that when the book comes out, there's going to be a lot of trans and queer and Asian folks reading it because of your identity and who you look like and mm-hmm. whether one except, you know, one likes this or not, uh, it becomes something that the community sees itself in, you know, trans people will read this book and they'll have a different relationship to it. So when, when I'm writing, when I'm writing, I want to be really careful that, uh, not careful. Like I can't say this, I can't say this, but really meticulous, really measure three times, cut once really, really careful about what I'm about to say, Mm -hmm. uh, because I know this book is instantly going to be valuable to somebody and I value them. It's very special thing when a trans person says, you know, gives you their heart and if they give that to my book. I want to make sure they understand it's special, too. Yeah. So I can't I I try not to be careless. I try to make sure I tie everything up that needs to be tied things that I don't tie up. I hope people understand that it did. So, yeah, when I don't tie something up, I hope people understand I did that on purpose because life has ragged edges.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's hard, I think, for some people to see is the degree of intent that's involved, even in something that's so incredibly, incredibly long, which is part of the reason why when people are like, when does your book come out? And it's like, oh, it'll be coming out a year from now. It's just like, there's so much editing that's involved in the kind of first pass, second pass, third pass, all that kind of stuff as you're refining (laughs) it. People
1: say, how many drafts did you do? And I go, yes. 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 it's not about it's not drafts it's uh yeah. it becomes um it becomes a continuum drafts are fluid you know there's it's like you, right. you start you end and and you just hope and so you know for me literally if i actually sat down and i counted the drafts and i tried to the, you know i don't know you know there, but there there are probably yeah. about three figures of drafts in there because i needed to get it right yeah But the payoff is when I look at the book, sure, there's some things I might have changed, but I'm, I'm satisfied. I think that I did the best job I could for that book.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a tricky balance, too, because especially when I was thinking about it after having read it, I'm thinking about, um, you know, we have um, Katrina Nguyen, who runs away Mm -hmm. from this abusive home, she's trans, she does sex work, she plays the violin, And um, your first novel didn't include any characters who are explicitly queer or trans. Mm -hmm. Um, And just thinking about that, like, tricky balance of writing a novel based around a trans character and her, like, queer violin teacher who's, like, literally made a deal with the devil. And then you have aliens just trying to, like, the tricky balance of not having it tipped too far one way. So it's kind of, like, do you know what I mean? Like, too... Everything
1: about this book has been... Everything in this book is... And I'm not going to say that this book, you know, other writers don't do this too, they do. But, you know, so in my case, um, it was really this balance um, because I might be queer and I might be trans. I also happen to be Asian. And I also happen to come from the San Gabriel Valley. And trust me, I have seen plenty of white queer people come in and screw things up and gentrify the place. So I know that when I introduce people from family A, with people from family B, we have to be careful. We can't just toss them in. We have to, you know, spin things together. So the even in the book, you'll see that I change, you know, if somebody was talking about doing a food tour based on my work, and I'm really honored, um, but you're not gonna find some of the places. You'll find some. You'll find the ones that I know are more famous that can handle you. The ones that are more hole in the wall, I change their names. I put them somewhere else because I want people to understand that, you know, people live here and if you're gonna go explore, then, then don't look at a book, look around you. The book gets you there, but if you really wanna meet these people, look around and make some friends on your own. Mm-hmm. So it was that kind of a balance. Uh, there was then the balance of, um, you know, poetry and prose, trying to write, because I don't write, I don't write novels like a novelist. I still write novels like a poet. And that means occasionally spending all day uh, for, you know, just trying to get the word right. And while spending all day trying to get the word right is fine if your work is maybe, you know, 30 lines long, Mm -hmm. if you've got 120,000 words and you're trying to get the word right, that... (laughs) that's nerve wracking because your yeah. editor is, you know, your, your agent, your editor is going, you know, we trust you. And I'm going, thank you. Yeah. You know, but it, it's a different, it's a, the, the uh, economics are different. You know, you have so many words you have to write, but um, I really do feel that you can point to any page in the book, point to a word, tell me why it's asked me, why is this word here? And I can tell you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in some ways, writing this way is like being trans. Where everything that seems to be put together is actually carefully calculated to hit your angles right, to hit your wardrobe right, you look for things that work. You, you Because you know what, you don't want to be clocked today. So, you know, you, you do this, you do that, you figure out how to speak. You're always, you, you're working to get your your fine, your look right. And uh, it takes a lot of work to look like you're natural. <laughs> so, that's that.
0: Yeah, no, that's that. That's fair. Yeah, it, I mean, there's that certain degree of like, I guess, hypervigilance or whatever, and these kind of things of of necessity, right? I guess, and and I think that's also one of the reasons why we mentioned Bartok earlier, why like the Bartok piece that appears in the novel, um, the piece of music, is so apt too, because it has these notes that are between what we traditionally would kind of mm-hmm. think of as notes that are kind of hitting things a little bit off, but it's actually right. Yeah. So I thought, yes. well, when did Bartok kind of come into the come into the process? Because that was one of the things that I was just like, when I got to that, I was like, oh wow, it's like one of those things that like wowed me and surprised me, and I was like, oh, that's such an interesting connection.
1: I was thinking about there are a couple composers that I were was actually thinking about, but Bartok is really for me. It was really because I knew about the microtones, right? And mm-hmm. and thinking, and when you when you listen to this and you. It's not pretty music in the same way that other work is uh, pretty. But if you listen to it, it, opens up. And I've been thinking about this a while where it's like, mm. um, and especially being Asian and understanding different tonal scales, you know, tone scales and understanding that, uh, you know, what we think of as natural music or the, you know, natural temperament and all that kind of stuff, you know, well, well, you know, even you know, whatever A lot of that is cultural a lot more is cultural than you think it is you know just you know listen to um you know music from uh you know southeast asia listen to music from india you listen to you know even rhythms on the tabla you know these it's not what you think Mm -hmm. and uh i thought that part of being trans is not you know we are it's a viable identity we We do fine. I mean, we we eat salad. The salad tastes good. We crunch our croutons the same way. It's all good. We figured this out. It's okay. But to people to whom they're used to life in a Western or a traditional scale, it it sounds like looks like we're doing something wrong. Uh, And so that's why I wanted to um, really bring that in there. And I've gotten people to listen to Bartok, and they've enjoyed it. Um, which proves my point, you know. Yeah. yeah. If you tell people what to expect, and you you still show enthusiasm, I think that's really cool. The other thing too is my book is in between genres. In the same mm-hmm. talk is between notes. Uh, again, when you're talking about people who are marginalized. Uh, the first thing people say is, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Just like I walk down the street and, you know, if I, I'm tired, people will assume I don't speak English, Yeah, you know, to this day. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I'm constantly having to prove myself in some arenas, as I'm sure you are. And um, and so when I'm writing, I, you know, the first thing you know, well, the second thing people will say, you know, the, after, you know, or the third thing after, why is it queer? The second thing is how can this be YA uh, when you've got all this crap going on, you know, rape and all of this stuff. And I'm saying it was never YA. I don't even know where you got that from. And then, and then the third one is you don't know how to write uh, mm-hmm. because you don't look like a writer. That's changed a little bit, but uh, yeah. And so um Yeah, it has changed. There's a lot of really cool Asian writers out there, but there's a time when it wasn't being queer that was the barrier to being published. It wasn't even being a woman that was being, it was being Asian.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, on the topic of being a writer, like one of the things I I found myself, and I'm sure you know um, Cooper Lee Bombardier a lot better than I do, Mm -hmm. Um, but I was reading... His memoir a while ago, Pass With Care, which is great, and he has this one sentence, and I started thinking about this sentence instead of gender, thinking about writing, where he says, I remember reading an ominous anecdote written somewhere by a trans man in an FTM newsletter, and the uh, anecdote is, you can choose to become a man, but you can't choose the man you will become. And I think there's a dollop of truth in that. And I think there's a dollop of bullshit in that. But I was thinking about that in relation to becoming a writer. Like, I guess I'm wondering about what sort of writer you thought you'd be and what sort of writer you have become.
1: I'm exactly her.
0: You are. Okay.
1: I'm exactly her. Holy shit. Uh, ex- you know, it's it's the, I wanted my work. I wanted work that I could live with. I, I've always wanted to look, I have a very 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 simple mission statement with all my work mm-hmm. I love you that's it uh, I I told my agent if if you want dystopia I'm not your girl i I want to I like being alive I like this world and I wanted to be a writer by any means necessary to to write stories that people could come to in their times of need stories that maybe weren't platitudes but really kind of made you feel i shouldn't say the reader that's presumptuous but that i could write that were designed to make you un- appreciate your your, your cornflakes in the morning a little mm-hmm. bit more to make you appreciate living how i got there i didn't care you know so i mean when i was applying for my mfa I mean, I was ready to write short stories. I was ready to write poetry. I scored a rock opera, you know? I mean, there, it was, but it was what I wanted to do with my work. Mm-hmm. And also to, to kick it all off, I'm able to write science fiction fantasy now, right. which is kind of fun. So, um, yeah. it's uncanny. and I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm in the majority here, but I'm exactly where I want it to be with all the trans stuff and all of that aside, in terms of where I am as a writer, the fact that you're listening to me, the fact that, you know, you, I'm going to learn from you. You're going to learn from me. The fact that I know after I'm gone, my work is still here. Mm -hmm. The fact that hopefully it'll be in a library 50 years from now after I'm dead, when somebody can pick it up and maybe say, hey, this was really good. Mm -hmm. Or not even, hey, this is really good. Hey, I see myself here. Hey, this makes my living a little bit easier. Game, set, match, I'm done. And now when I'm writing, uh, it's hard to say, but I've actually, you know, I mean, it's like now this is all, this is all uh, a blessing. It's all, I feel like I'm, I feel like I was given something very precious. I was given trust from my readers. I was given an opportunity to to reach them. Certain, in terms of my career, no complaints whatsoever. Except you know, I just wish it had happened sooner. Um, but I think even if if this had happened when I was younger, even then, um, I remember in when I was in my MFA, you know, people are saying you're probably going to peak later. My my and here I am. I don't know if I peaked yet, but here I am. It's almost like this weird political statement. And I don't even, if I'm entitled to say this, but I'm a trans woman of color who's writing and is pretty damn grateful for the journey.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I'm pretty satisfied right now. Doesn't mean that uh, I'm stagnant. I got, I still have things I need to do, or I am here and now this is exactly where I want it to be.
0: That's, that's wonderful. And I think it makes the writing, I think it makes the work a lot easier when you just have that sense of like ease or whatever. I remember somebody asked me once about like trauma and if it made me a better writer and I was like times when I was in deep trauma for like years or decades at a time, I was not doing my best work.
1: (laughs) No, you know,
0: I was trying to stay alive. Right.
1: I want, I mean, like, you know, I have been in, you know, abusive relationships. I have been, most of the things that happened to people like from Uncommon Stars happened to me. I think that's obvious, you know, that's, yeah. I, I don't think I made a secret of that. But when you're in those tr- times, you can't, write. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think what we need to do is kind of forgive ourselves. You know, it's like, this is not the time we should be writing. This is the time we should be surviving. And if we're lucky. Uh, we've kept enough of our marbles, enough of our memory, enough of our our presence that when the trauma is over or relatively speaking when when things have calmed down yeah. uh, we can contextualize it and turn it into something that can help other people. Yeah, yeah you know, I mean what makes trauma worth it or less not worth it that's spreading is turning it around and helping other people. That's just the end of it, right? Um, If anything I go through can help you when you're going through the same thing, make you feel a little bit less alone, uh, maybe make you feel that, uh, you know, an urge to be more gentle with yourself. I've done my job. Yeah. And then I'll throw spaceships and donuts in there too. Yeah. But the key is even if it wasn't writing, the key is helping others. And I love you. And I don't want you to go through the shit that I went through. And if you have to, okay, here's a book. Yeah. And even for people who aren't going through trans things, you know, here's something for you too. I mean, I wrote this book. I'm kind of being a little bit, uh, I think less than honest, so I'm saying it wasn't meant as a young adult book. In some ways it was, but it was meant as a young adult book for older adults because you're never too old to be a young adult. That's why I let the the characters who with the flutter flutter and the crushes and all that be the older group.
0: Yeah. And I, I do have a question about that, but I'm not going to ask it quite yet. I, what I do want to ask emerging out of a couple of things you have said is like, what was the like... The little bit of like, I love you that started Light from Uncommon Stars. Like what was the kernel that kind of was the the whispered I love you where it's like, I want to build this into something. There's something here.
1: I think what ended up happening was looking at uh, Himeli Ahilo, my first book, yeah. and realizing that I really wrote that book to my past. I really, I really wrote that book to my grandparents and my family. And I wrote this book from for my childhood. Mm. And, you know, I wanted to write this book in a way that reflected my environment and my world at the time. And there wasn't that much, uh, that was overtly queer. There were no, you're in the middle of Hilo there. It's a different set of expectations. And so there, the main issue was race and, and class. Those are the main issues. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote about that. And, uh, and food and wanted my parents and, well, no, more more my grandparents' stories not to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. I wanted to capture a certain place, a certain time. I wanted to put a character, characters in there who, you know, had to eat some humble pie to learn and so on and so forth. But I realized that, uh, you know, after I, I remembered that my next book, I wanted to bring queer stuff into it because, you know, I, I felt, you know, these are my family too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure the next book, but the type of queer that I wanted to bring out was, okay, I'm going to write about queer stuff. This is going to be really hellaciously traumatic for me to get through. I'm going to put it in familiar grounds. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you know, and um, not just make it queer, but uh, make it queer Asian queer POC. I have no idea if people are going to read this, but if I do my job right, I believe in writing. So let's see what happens. Now, the other thing in this book that I've been talking about is active, not, it wasn't an act of kindness, but you know, in the, in the dedication of this book, mm-hmm. uh, it says for Katrina and Katrina's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So my friend Katrina, uh, You know, in real life, uh, many, many years ago. I mean, even back before before uh, before came out. uh, I think I'm not sure about the dates, but was was crying because of Hurricane Katrina, Mm -hmm. and saying that every time people ask her about Katrina, she felt sad because they made fun of her because of her name, and and most people aren't trying to explicitly be mean, but this goes on. So I remember telling her. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to make the main character, I'm going to name the main character Katrina. So when people mention Katrina, maybe they'll think about something else. And so when I wrote Life Among Uncommon Stars, uh, one name for certain was never up for negotiation. That character would be named Katrina and I would do good things for her.
0: I didn't know that at all, that, that, yeah, that's, that opens it up a little bit in a way. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, one of the things you talked about that you alluded to earlier is this kind of like the sort of like queer middle age romance um, between Shizuka Satomi, who's this violin teacher who's made a deal with the devil and Lan Tran, who is a retired starship captain who runs a donut shop. Um, Did you set out at the beginning of this novel or at some point to have this like awkward, somewhat awkward later in life romance? Or did you have these two characters and they just started sort of tilting towards each other?
1: I wanted them together, you know, right. Also, you know, the thing is, I I get to dream too. And as a middle-aged trans woman with no particular romantic prospects at this moment, I want to have my romance too. And I like donuts and I like butches. <laughs> so I'm going to find some donut butch who looks good in uniform that comes from outer space to take me to the stars. Damn it. And so I wrote it that way. In terms of them being awkward and everything, I didn't think they were awkward. I was just writing the way I would do a relationship. Apparently, I'm really awkward.
0: (laughs) But I think, but so am I. I mean, but there's something also endearing about that because there's that sense. I think at one point, uh, maybe uh, Shizuka Satomi says something like she knows how to like perform in front of people. She knows how to coach someone to be a much better like violin player. But how do you have a conversation?
1: Yeah, and- i mean if i'm great right now because you're talking asking me about my work you know put yeah you know, try to go on a date with me sure. <laughs> so i i mean i think that uh it's very difficult you know to especially i think when you're driven when you're in when you're an artist and you're kind of driven to create something that's going to last beyond this world to talk about things in this world mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the funny thing about it is, well, Lan's not really from this world either. So how do they even relate? Um, I like, you know, one thing I like is they're both really competent at what they do, but when they get together, they're just derpy. Yeah. <laughs> they just lose it.
0: And that's super adorable. It's It's super adorable. Like it's, and and those scenes were just just so so fun. I think in so many ways. And you were talking before about like writing food. And like one of the things that I noticed, especially thinking about your two novels beside each mm-hmm. other, is there are certain things you write about a fair amount. Right. One of them is obviously food. Like your first novel has like tons of delicious scenes related mm-hmm. to food as well. Also like music or performing is another thing right. that you also gravitate towards. Legacy or tradition is I think another mm-hmm. thing that you have like a, a deep. Um, I don't know. This feels deeply important in your work. Um, are are these things that just are kind of always sort of top of mind or are they things that you find a certain pleasure in writing or I don't know, I guess I'm kind of wondering about the things that kind of carry across in your work.
1: I think food is super political to me. I think Mm, that if you, you know, I think that food control of food, talking about food, description of food, um, I mean, some writers want to make you horny. Some writers want to make you hungry. I'm kind of on the hungry end of things. And I I want to make sure, and I want to bring a sensuality
0: mm-hmm. through it.
1: I think also because, um, of, I'm just going to get a little personal here, because of some of the trauma that I went through, um, I tend to express my sensuality more through food than I do through sex or mm-hmm. things like that. If you notice what I do with sex and... Um, and relationships, you notice I'm almost chased when I write things, because I find that difficult, I might open up and do more of that later. But at this moment, you know, and sex with a trans person, is just like, you know, I mean, it can be fun, it can be hot, but it's hard to write about, because there's always, you know, there's, there's just, uh, and so I find food a lot less, let's put it this way. I talk about my sex life, it becomes a fetish. I mean, I remember being with somebody and then, you know, he just goes, you know, if we turn a video camera on, this would be really hot. And I'm going, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, um, you know, because it, it's immediately seen as deviant, mm. even though I don't think I'm deviant. Whereas if I write about food, that I can do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I can express culture through food. I can slow the pacing down. I can use food like another character and have it interrupt conversations. I can hit the different senses. It can remind you that you should probably be paying attention to how things smell in my world or how things, you know, and things like that, how things sound, you know, frying in a pan and, and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, food also, I can get through history. You know, you have a, a restaurant that used to be a pizza place owned by, you know, owned by the Caputos, you know, and so um, all of these together make food really it, it's something that's incredibly sensual. I enjoy writing; doesn't feel uncomfortable. I can write about it while being queer, and know you're paying attention to the food and not the trans woman with a penis. And you should be good. And so it helps a lot. So it's it's just uh, I enjoy it, mm-hmm. you know, with performance and with music. Uh, I really love music. I mean, I, I compose. I think my next book won't have as much music in it because I'm too busy doing some other things. Mm-hmm. It took a lot. Cause I thought to myself, I just wrote about Hula in Himalaya Ahilo. Do I really yeah. want to pretty much write about music again for life from uncommon stars? But one, two things happened. One, the metaphor, was really cool. And you know, two i started you know as i was learning and i decided to start like working with the violin i realized what a rich metaphor that was Mm -hmm. the emptiness inside how sound is produced so i just said well i'm going to trust that the readers will not see me rethinking think think of this as rehashing the book but i'm doing there are some profound differences especially when you bring in queer and things like that and and so um i got lucky
0: And oh, But also as a, as a reader, there's, there's a certain joy, I think, in having things that are kind of pinging a part of your brain that's like related to this other thing. And it's embodiment mm-hmm. too, right? It's a way of being, I guess, embodied to performing, whether it's hula or whether it's violin.
1: And they're in universe. They're in mm. the same universe. Yes. Uh, you know, you're going to notice this macaroni potato salad in both books that that's a reason you know and Uh and both of the characters who like that had the last name Choi. that is there's a reason for that Mm -hmm. you know which i'm going to talk about later maybe you know um and so it's just that we see the world in in a different way you know in some ways these books are almost flips of each other right i mean in do you mind if I spoil my own work? Yeah, sure. In Himalaya Hilo, you've got basically God coming down and hanging out on the big island. And here you've got an agent of the devil coming. So I mean, you know, <laughs> it's uh they 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 play with each other. They play with each other. And I I want people to feel in my work that uh, and this is for me, mm-hmm. I want people to feel that there's a contiguous universe going on. Um I think for me, when I'm by myself or I'm alone uh, and sad and lonely, I'd like to think that there are connections between us and other people. So it's very, very important that my work maybe has is, exists, you know, in different discrete places in this greater universe. So none of my novels are alone. Mm-hmm. None of my characters are alone. They're they're part of something more. I think that's something that um, makes it possible for me to live every day, even if life gets me down. There's there's something more out
0: there. Mm-hmm. Just thinking particularly about your first novel, Himela Ejilo, um, mm-hmm. which, which has such a gentle and generous voice to it, um, which, which also filters into Light from Uncommon Stars, but in a very different way. Um, one of the other things that I think is very key to both of those books there is like, as they would say in real estate, location, location, location because um, uh-huh. your first novel is set in Hilo, Hawaii, and then your second novel here is set in um, California, San Gabriel Valley. And then uh-huh. I was also looking at, at um, some of your poetry again recently, and one of your poems, the poem, Sometimes Too Hot, The Eye of Heaven Shines. You uh-huh. have the lines, The city moves so fast, you see it only if it decides to love you too. Um, uh-huh. My sense is these, these places that you're writing about in both of those novels are, are, city, are places that you love. You have a certain amount of love for. Um, can you talk about like the importance of place in 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 writing? Like, I think it's it's so key. I think in your work,
1: I'm going to hit it two different ways. I think we hit hit this question uh, from a, from a position of craft and then for something more personal. Yeah. Uh, from a position of craft, I think that um, if you can write about a place convincingly, it lets you lie about everything else. Hmm. You and 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 remember we're lying when i say lie what i mean is giving the reader an experience outside the real so basically say five things true and then give them something that's not and slip it by them and and watch their universe expand so part of it is to uh, you never want to give you never want to let your reader see the borders of your story. You always want to make them feel like if they turned more, the picture would continue come continue up, continue down. Mm-hmm. They're living in a bigger world. You're, you're not. So basically, if you're focusing on a conversation over dinner with somebody, but you don't talk about the food, it's all about that conversation. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if, if the server comes in, gives you pancakes, you eat the pancake, you taste the pancake and you go this, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, they serve real butter here. This is amazing.
0: Yeah,
1: I've given you world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that lets you relax to Kind of key into the conversation, uh, you know. Coffee is more than coffee, you know. It's you know it, it, this kind of thing. We're going to play, um, so that's that. So from a from a writer standpoint, I think that understanding place, and it doesn't have to be a place you grew up in. But I think you eventually learn to have an eye for detail. You don't need much. You just need a little bit here. You need a little bit there just to hit it. Uh, For example, um, this isn't about place, but this is about authenticity. Um, I went into a violin store and, you know, I told them I'm a novelist. Can I talk to you about things? And, you know, and uh, I picked up uh, an $800,000 violin and it was light. I almost did that because Mm. it was so light. Thank you. I'm done. I got what I needed. I go out. That's where that whole part about carbon fiber comes into the book. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's much, it feels light, almost like carbon fiber, which is what I had thought. And it's not carbon fiber. And you get this moment that makes Matea's violin shop bigger than it is. We can just have that quick aside that, oh, we're in a space with this character. And that kind of thing is really, it takes the burden of having to do that all with dialogue. And having to do that all with plot, you can also do that with setting. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's also good to talk about place when you're sick of your character's monologuing. Fair. You can break into description and and all of these help the, the reader cleanse their palate between plot development, plot development. They look around, they pan, they come back and that's all very, very important. Uh, from a political standpoint and from a personal standpoint, I thought you know sooner or later somebody's going to write a novel about the San Gabriel Valley, and if they're going to be and you can either write it from the inside or from the outside, you know I mean you read what James Michener did for Hawaii, you know back in the day, or you know Clavel writing Shogun, you know it's like y'all, you, mm-hmm. I mean. The novel holds together as a piece of craft, but you miss some things. You miss some big things. And so I thought, you know, when I write about places that I care about, like Hilo or the San Gabriel Valley, I'm taking up space so nobody else does that. So now when I'm writing about the San Gabriel Valley, nobody else who reads a book about the San Gabriel Valley can't, can avoid the fact that there's another book, mine out there and deal with that it's my way of keeping my cultures and my people and my neighborhood from being co-opted and being misrepresented by people who are just coming in to sell a book which is not what i'm trying to do Mm -hmm. i mean i'm glad you're buying my books but i'm here to say i'm here to tell a story i'm here to include you
0: and that was one of the things that I thought was so interesting and so risky in your first book was having so much of the of the dialect, uh, the Hawaiian pigeon English, which mm-hmm. just seems like one of those things where if it's off, if it's you know what I mean, if you use it wrong, or or if it feels if if it feels like it's a bit wobbly, then it could be problematic. But it's one of those things where once I sunk into the book. Um, the first time I read it a number of years ago and, and rereading it again, it just has that, there's a charm to it. Like it just has mm-hmm. this other, it goes to this other place.
1: Mm-hmm. That is something that I would advise nobody to do if they didn't grow up speaking the language. Agreed. Um, my, my first language was pidgin. I had to learn how to speak this way. My original language is pidgin. Sort of, so I was basically writing in my native code. Um, even to this day, if I see somebody who's from Hawaii, I immediately revert to pigeon, that being said, what kind of pigeon? And how I'm going to make a gradient. You might notice that my use of pigeon is almost like a language book where I slowly introduce you and then I I explain Mm -hmm. things and I I reinforce and I bring it up. And by the end, you know, there are people saying, I didn't even look at the glossary. And I was saying, please look at the glossary. There are plot points in the glossary. The glossary was there for fun, Uh, you know. uh, But that was being a teacher. And Mm -hmm. but it was really important for me to write the book in pigeon, not for you but for people from Hilo to understand that this is written with love from the inside, not with exoticism or not like, you know, from the outside. Uh, So that's, you know, the glossary wasn't necessarily for people who didn't understand pigeon and wanted to learn what words mean. It was for native speakers to read it and remember about Tupperware. Mm. So I think that dialect. And language can be, I would have a difficult time writing in a dialect that I didn't know well. Yeah. I, I suppose some people can do it. I'm not going to say it can't be done because, you know, there are writers who might be better at it than I am. I'm sure there are plenty, but, um, for this, what gave me the courage to do it was that's how my grandma spoke to me. Yeah. And I wanted my grandma to speak to you too. Mm -hmm. And, uh. And so that's why the voice in that book is so gentle and so wise, because, you know, grandma. And for those of you, yeah, and, and we all want that voice.
0: And it's so quirky too. Like there's, a, there's like a weirdness where it's like this omniscient voice is like a little bit like what?
1: It's kinda of- Yeah. I and I did that on like again for two reasons. One, grandma knows shit, that you know how she knows. Yeah. And and then uh Secondly, you know, at the end of the day, I do reveal narrator, you know, Mm -hmm. and and things like that. And uh, because at the end of the day, if you're in Hawaii, I don't care who you are. We, you know, you all belong to Pele.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You know, sorry, just is. You're on an island. Guess who made it? Uh, And so, um, but I wanted it to be not necessary to the plot. If you don't even have to read it that way. You can just enjoy the book as it is and i don't really mind Mm -hmm. i don't think Pele minds either you know and so um the trick then is with light from uncommon stars i had to i couldn't bring that narrator into the book Mm -hmm. so that's why with this book i went to um a different way you know you notice with light I, i did a lot of multiple points of view here i took out you know get rid of Pele add Virginia Woolf and so what I was trying to do with this book is really work within each point of view and hope that the story works a lot of people reading this might not uh, when they first read the book they might wonder why is she switching POV so much but you notice eventually it does have its own rhythm in the same way when you first listen to Bartók what the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. But eventually develops its own rhythm. You see, somebody who's trans. What the hell's going on? It develops its own rhythm, and that's why I chose this way to tell the book. I was asking you, trust me. Mm-hmm. If you trust me, and if you're still here in a hundred pages, I have something really nice to show you.
0: Mm-hmm. And this is and this is your first book with it with a with a much larger publisher. I think you're the only writer I can think of who published three different books with trans-focused publishers, three different trans-focused publishers, right? Uh Transgenre Press, um, Beauty Publishing, and Topside. Like Uh that's all all three, which which is so astonishing, but they're really tiny. And then you're with Tor. So I'm kind of wondering, I guess two things that I'm wondering. One is like what it was like working with a larger publisher who also has you know marketing much more marketing and and these sort of things but also editing too like I saw there were a number of editors kind of listed like what the editing process kind of was like and
1: it really helped that I didn't write this book in pigeon
0: (laughs) of course yeah they would have been struggling Uh, um, yeah
1: they would have been struggling (laughs) I had to edit my own book for this one because the original editor for this book for for took out all my pigeon and assumed I didn't know what it was writing (laughs) So I, I told the folks, you know, I will withdraw my book if you don't let me write it and pitch This is very important. Yeah. And so, uh, but with light from uncommon stars, um, I think coming in with books and coming in, not as a writer that was new, I think I had something that they, they found interesting that they wanted to, um, nurture. And mm-hmm. so it, With my editor, uh, Lindsay Hall, who's my editor at Tor, there was never a situation where I was being too queer or too trans. Most of it, she trusted me and she continues to trust me with the story I want to tell. Mm -hmm. Where she's valuable, though, is telling me to up my game that I can do better. I've been writing for a long time. I've gotten, you know, Some nice awards. It can get to the point with the small press where they are kind of hands off with me. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the trust. But then to have a book when I thought I did my best, to have Lindsay come back and say, I think you can do better. Yeah. Like, what? Really? Okay, let's do it. And I just felt like you really want to kick me up a level. I want to get kicked up a level. Let's do this. And so we moved some things around and we made the book work better as a novel, which is really important because this book switches POV so quickly Mm -hmm. that I wanted to make sure to my readers don't get kicked out unintentionally. And Lindsay was incredible with that. Yeah, really good about suggesting different orders. And, you know, when maybe a joke didn't work, when something did work, uh, you know, how, how does that even go? I mean, there, one of the, you want to hear like some, you know, how, how emotional and um, stressful and, um, you know, things went one of the hardest times was to get that joke about eggs that ate worm, chicken worms, eating eggs, getting that joke, right. Took about five different backs and forths. Yeah. (laughs) And I love the joke now, you know, or, um, and and so, so yeah, we had that, we had two sensitivity readers and I'm all for sensitivity readers because you know, they're queer people from the community Mm Tor is going to pay them. What do you think? I would say, can we have another queer reader, another sensitivity reader this week? You know, <laughs> just keep giving them money, please. Uh, and so uh, that was really nice. You know,
0: I, I am doing a, a talk for some MFA students uh, on my writing and writing process uh, in a few days, and I'm going to be kind of focusing on it through lessons I have learned mm-hmm. from Yoko Ono. Um, through as, as a writer and also as a person living in the world. And I guess I'm kind of wondering if there are other like artists, writers, musicians who are like ongoing kind of endless influences or sources of inspiration for you people who you're kind of like for me one of the things I look to with her is like I can think of no one in the 20th century making art who's more fearless than Yoko Ono like it's super mm, hard for mm, me mm, to think mm. of somebody so that is always like endlessly and also her focus is love right I mean I think all of her work for the last like 60 years has been the focus has been like love um, are there people who are kind of like endlessly like inspiring or important for for what you're doing
1: yeah I mean and for me it's not Yoko; know, it's Dolly mm I mean uh sometimes I ask my myself, what would Dolly Parton do here? Here's somebody who is blonde and white and is a queer ally who might be queer, but we really don't know, but we know, but you know we really don't, and all of these other things, in other words, so many areas mm. that she could screw up and she could suddenly you know bet midler her way into some saying some sort of silly thing. Wow. She never does she's graceful. She bridges gaps between people. I don't know how she does it. I mean, it's, it's more than her look. There are plenty of bombshells. There are plenty of beautiful people out there, but there's something about the beauty in her spirit and some other way she moves about the world that, um, I find really inspiring and really educational. She, she manages to, to touch people. And in ways that still do not water down her music and water down her message, you know, and so, and she has a message, I mean she's, she's not socially absent, she's there and she's working so that for me is the one where it's like okay, what would Dolly do in this situation, okay we'll do that
0: and the longevity too it's one of those things when you talk about the yeah. time it takes to like write a novel it's like what's who's someone with a really long career who has continued mm-hmm. to do to do to do work and is still is still out there doing things right and
1: is and is doing work and is you know continuing to to impact people right and it's not all nostalgia it's new stuff and so i want to be able to do that you know i always want you know no matter how old I get, no matter when I go, I want people to ask, oh, my God, if she had only written one more book. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of where I am.
0: I mean, on, on, the, on the topic of that, I think, like, you were talking about, like, new folks following and things like this. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing you get asked for um, writing and publishing advice, especially probably from, like, queer folks, trans folks, Asian folks. Um, mm-hmm. I'm wondering what sort of writing and publishing advice you typically give Mm. It's a really hard one, I know, but it's I'm also a really, like
1: really hard one because you know I was lucky. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like I can say wait for a while. Your book is going to be discovered in a used New York bookstore, and somebody from Random House is going to pick it up, and they're going to love it, and then they're going to get you're going to get an agent, and then you're going to land a book deal. Uh, but it doesn't work that way for everybody, mm-hmm. uh, because not because I'm any better, I think I'm pretty good, but there are a lot of good writers. Mm -hmm. And also the other thing is there is, you know, I came from a time in trans and queer land where I wasn't the fiercest artist. I was the schoolgirl, which is why I'm alive. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not saying they're all gone, but really I got through some difficult times pretty well because, Other folks were going out after a performance. I was inside, not living. So when I talk about my community, it's kind of like, there's always a little bit of imposter syndrome because I wasn't the fiercest. I wasn't the fiercest one there. I was uh, always thinking about writing and getting old. So I think that my advice to somebody is why are you writing for? Mm -hmm. what's your purpose? What are you, why? Know yourself, work on knowing yourself and the other writing. There's a lot of other good advice. This isn't the end all, but my advice is you do a lot better when you know what you stand for. For me, I want to tell the world, I love you. If it doesn't say I love you, I'm not interested in writing it. Now it could be tough love. It could be a love story that winds, but at the end of the day, I love being alive. I love you. And there we go. When I can't do that, I'm done writing. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I go on the sabbatical being less dramatic. But, um, I like that I option think... better
0: for you. I like that option much better.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I think that, uh, for writers, I think a lot of times writers want to be great writers, which is great. But I think if they knew why and what their mission was, I think that would help a lot too. Yeah, agreed. You know, that way, yeah, you know, that way when things get rough. Like, for example, I want to say, I love you. I want the world to be a better place. I want my work to help. I'm not getting published. I'm not getting published. I'm getting rejections. I'm getting rejections. I have a choice of going to a reading and saying shit about somebody else publishing. I don't participate in that, not because I'm a good person, but it doesn't gel with my mission. Mm -hmm. That's why. It makes the ethical questions a little bit easier. Because if you're queer, if you're trans, if you're these things, People are going to ask ethical questions. There's always going to be ethical questions. And the best way to do this is just take care of that in advance. So then you don't have to think about them and you can just focus on your next rejection uh, and your next rejection. Um, oh, the other one, the other one that I'm going to mm. say is uh don't be afraid to pull strings to get your work published and get your work out there. There's no honorable way to do it, especially if you're queer. Uh the world's not dealing with you honorably. So if you have friends, you can put a press together. You can do anything like that. Get the work out because people need it. Uh, There's no orthodox way to do it. Um, You know, eventually, if you get an agent and you get a press and and you get all of that stuff, wonderful. But don't wait for that. Just go do it. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, publications fluid, as fluid as gender. There's all kinds of different ways to do it.
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's a good reminder. And it's such an interesting time, too, because I came up and I'm guessing I think you came up around, you know, or whatever. I was writing back when there were like zines and things like that, like oh, before, yeah. the, before the internet I, existed. I have all my
1: zines <laughs> that I don't use anymore, but yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And now just the distribution is so much easier in some ways, I think, for for getting things out there. And I think like so often when people reach out to me, it's around the piece they're focusing on really is the publishing But I think it's the other stuff that you're talking about, the really foundational stuff of like, what is the point in actually what you're writing that's really core to Mm -hmm. it? You know, because people sometimes are like, I want to sell a lot of books. And it's like, do you really want to be a writer? Or do you want to be a famous person? (laughs) Those are very different. Those are very different. Because if you're a writer, then I think like the way to do it is to really try to make the work good, find your people who are actually able to be honest about your writing and be like, what sort of a publisher what I want to publish with? maybe it's not the biggest one but who has a who's a good home for this work right
1: uh-huh and and also when you get offers if you've worked all that out in your head the it becomes clearer who you belong with yeah yeah and so um i've walked away from deals i walked away from tv writing deals because it didn't gel i've walked away from you know things and uh not because they're doing bad things but because it's like i was looking at the show and it's like Uh, that's not going to help me. It's not why I'm here. Yeah. You know, just, I get the idea of, of wanting to be a well-known writer. Apparently some people, you know, when I'm talking to people, they, they feel that I'm where they want to be. And trust me, having the book deal that I have, it's a good place to be. No doubt about it. Super grateful. But, um, I can also see how the satisfaction, the ah, the relief, the satisfaction, the joy one gets out of getting closer to a goal, a life goal that you've been holding on since forever that's also good too. It's not necessarily external fame, it's knowing that you're doing what you wanted to do mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you again
0: for for chatting so with welcome. me. i'm I'm so delighted we got a chance to chat. I'm just flashing now on like I think my first email was probably about two and a half years ago. It was long before the pandemic. I was like,
1: "Hey, it's been a bit. And thanks for your patience. Uh, it's been a while, but um you know, there's just been a lot going on. but I think we, we I think we spoke at the best time.
0: Our podcast theme song is Tall Girl by Wares from the album Survival, courtesy of Wares and Mint Records. I will also say that the album Survival was 100% my favorite album of 2020. It is so great. Our rad logo was designed by my lovely friend Regina Faronejad at Handmade Design. Tea for Tea is recorded and edited on the unceded ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, on whose lands I am fortunate to work and to live. Thanks so goddamn fucking much for listening. Bye.